0: Our text for this morning is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. I'll read the text here in just a minute. Luke chapter 1. A few introductory remarks. I'm going to try to hold it together. Thank you um, all very much. We are truly uh, grateful. I think you all know if you've been through anything, what a great community we have here just all around, Um, and so we're very grateful for the community at large, but we're very grateful to all of you, and thank you very much for your support, we know you've been in prayer for us, we appreciate it, the meals are phenomenal, uh, so thank you for that, Um, but we are truly grateful for this opportunity, I I sent a letter out in the newsletter, uh, just kind of my thoughts on being back up here, uh, kind of quickly, Um, my, my wife is adamant, and behind me, And uh, that we continue this work with you all. And so we are back here and hard at work and we're immediately pushing forward with the study of Luke. So we've been in Luke and I'm intending that we pick right back up in Luke. And I do that to make a point because there are a ton of things going on in my life and any of you who've been through um, scary events, you know that it causes a lot of reflection and lots of you know, new understandings about different things. And I could get up here and I could give autobiographical sermons and talk about this and talk about that and make much of myself and what's going on. But at the end of the day, no one needs to hear ultimately about me. And we gather because we need to hear about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Darla and I need to hear is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And any of you who are suffering and going through things, what you need to hear is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we're going we're gonna to forge ahead. The Magnificat is a great place to do it. I, I have to say this because there are many things I could say about what's going on and there's many things I could say about my wife at this point. and And the faith that she's uh, is exampling. And she would say, don't say this she's going to make be uncomfortable with me saying this but let me just say that strength of faith is often seen like this bombastic sort of nothing bothers me i'm just going out there i'm getting on the court and i'm going to win i'm going to fight this thing and it's just going to go great and faith is this bombastic sort of i don't know bravado everything's going to be fine i got this and to me that's not that's not faith that's almost some that's some sort of ignorance almost of the reality that Life is hard, and things do go wrong. To me, and what I think Scripture points out, is that fear isn't the, or faith is not the absence of terror, but it is that when you are terrified, you still are trusting. When you are terrified, you still trust in the one who has it all in his hands. The fighter verse we talked about when we got the bad news uh, on Darla's cancer, the, the fighter verse was uh, 2 Corinthians 12.9, which is, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And we honor God, and sometimes the strongest thing you can do is to look at the things that scare you straight in the face, confess your fear, and fight to trust in the midst of your terror. And that's just life. <laughs> We don't go around saying, we got this. I'm sorry if you're one of those Facebook people who says things like that. We got, you got this. We don't got this. Can I be honest? If it's up to us, if it were up to us, let's be honest, we wouldn't be in this position. (laughs) If we could have stopped this, we would have. It's not, we don't got this. We don't. We don't. But we have a Savior. We have a God who has promised to work all things together for the good of those who love Him. We have a, we have a God who has promised, Philippians one six that He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. And there we place our trust. And just lastly, this is why I take what I do up here so seriously. I don't do a lot of slapstick. I'm not very entertaining, partially because I, I'm not funny. I can't tell a good joke. So as I'm kind of hamstr- hamstrung on that anyway. But Life is serious, and it's good to take an hour out of your week and discuss things that matter. And that's why, we, that's why I'm serious about talking about Jesus a ton. Life is serious. It's worth it to, uh, to take an hour out of every week. We need ballast in our boats. We need ballast in our boats Christianity is not about making your boat as pretty as it can be on top of the water so that when the waves and storm hits it, it just capsizes your boat because you spend all your time trying to dress it up pretty. Christianity is putting ballast, anchor, weight in the bottom of your boat so that when the storms do come, which they do, and your boat gets thrown from side to side, it does not ultimately sink because you have taking the time to put the ballast in your boat of who Christ is for us. So, we're here to get serious. (laughs) That's enough on that. Luke chapter 1, carrying on in our sermon series in the book of Luke. This is verses 39 through 56. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, the baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. Grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our Lord stands forever. So to catch us up with where we've been, uh, the first chapter of Luke You remember, Zechariah, it starts out with Zechariah in the temple. The angel Gabriel shows up, gives him this prophecy. Your wife, who is advanced in years, is going to conceive, going to bear you a son, you're going to name him John. He's going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And then not only that, Gabriel shows up again, only this time not to an, an an older man and his wife, but to show up to a young virgin named Mary and says that without the aid of a man, you're going to conceive... And bear a son and you're going to name him Jesus, God who saves. without the aid of man, you are going to conceive a son and he is going to you're going to name him Jesus. he's going to sit on the throne of David forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. We go on and he says that to confirm the angel Gabriel says that to confirm this, behold your relative Elizabeth is conceit is now with child she's now in her third or sixth month or something uh, and six month and that's how you're going to confirm it so immediately when that happens we find ourselves in our text this morning mary gets done with this visitation from gabriel and she goes to a town in judah closer to jerusalem we don't know where this really is at but they're closer in judah she makes kind of a long trip for who uh, probably a teenage girl 13 14 possibly is the age They were betrothed back then, makes this trip to the house of Elizabeth and Zechariah to see her relative. When she arrives, the Holy Spirit fills Elizabeth. uh, uh, And she says with a, a loud voice, a strong voice. So she's speaking under the aid or under the influence of the Holy Spirit. She's speaking inspired words. She she interprets this leaping in her womb by, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as confirmation that the child that Mary is carrying is her Lord. She says, "Don't," and I don't want us to miss what's going on there. John the Baptist is now in the sixth month. At this point... Six months, the baby, those of you who've been pregnant or had wives who've been pregnant, you know what, at six months you're getting those, some of those flutters and some of those things are going on for sure at six months. But Elizabeth has a leaping of some type that's different than what she's used to and says that that out of excitement, we don't want to read too much into it, but her Holy Spirit interpretation was that the child leaped for joy at the hearing of Mary's voice who was carrying the their Lord, the Lord who was carrying Jesus, the Christ. She says, Elizabeth says, "Blessed is blessed are you among women." This is verse uh, forty-two. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? We hear language like "my Lord," and we think, "Well, you know, we've been in church for." all of our lives, some of us, and to talk about Jesus being my Lord, it's kind of like, well, of course you saying my Lord. That's a, this is a revolutionary statement that Elizabeth is making at this point. She's saying that Mary is going to be the mother of her Lord. To, over 20 times in the Gospel of Luke, the word Lord, Kyrios in the Greek, is used of either God or Jesus. To call this baby her Lord is to make this outrageous confession that God, that this baby is divine. Something amazing and and spectacular is going on in this child who is now in the womb of Mary. So much so that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth cries out, my Lord is in, you are carrying my Lord, my God, my Savior. To call Jesus Lord is to call him God. We know at the end of the Gospel of John, remember Thomas, uh, questions if, if Jesus is... He wasn't there doubting Thomas, it's unfair, but he, we call him that. Because he wasn't around when the disciples all saw Jesus, Says unless I can stick my finger into his side and touch the holes in his hands, I won't believe. Well, sure enough, Jesus obliges him in this request, shows up, Thomas Sticks his hand into his side. Touches the wounds in his hand. And what does he say? He says, my Lord and my God. This realization, this this putting together of this term, my Lord, my God. This is what Elizabeth is saying. Something revolutionary is happening. That God is coming to dwell with His people. God Himself is coming to rescue His people. And so Elizabeth says... Who am I that my Lord, that the mother of my Lord should come to visit me? Three things I want to just quickly reflect on here from, the, from this text after all of that. And the first is, I want us to notice the humility that lies in Elizabeth and Mary, really. This, this humility that they have. A great visitation has come to them. They have been blessed with giving Conce- conceiving the the forerunner to the Messiah and the Messiah, this visitation has come to them, and they don't respond with like this kind of, well, hey, I, that's all right. They're they're astonished. Who are we that God should visit us? Who are we that God should should in His favor look upon us? There's no swagger about Elizabeth and Mary that they're you know she says from now on all generations will call me blessed. Why? Because God has looked upon the humble estate of his servant, is what she sings in her Magnificat. But Elizabeth, she's, she's, she's astonished. What, who am I that, that the mother of my Lord should come? And why is this granted to me, she says in verse 33, 43. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come? This is a beautiful example of Christian humility. Authentic Christianity, when it exists, is always found couched in humility. Who are we that God should be mindful of us? Why? As James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Christians don't ride up to God on their high horse and say, look at me, God. This is all the things I've done for you. Aren't you proud of me? No, don't I get into heaven now? That's not, that's not Christianity at all. It isn't the climbing of the ladder to God. It is the reality of God has come down to us. And who are we that God should descend and visit and rescue us? Who are we? How often do you marvel that God's grace would shine upon you? How often do you sit back and why? Why would God, the absurdity that God would reach out to you, Romans 5.8 is on the back of our sign out here. It says, God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How often do we sit and marvel? Who are we that God sinners? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Turn with me if you have a Bible there to Psalm 8, if you got one out. This is just a, a beautiful psalm, but but devastating, really, in its humility. Psalm 8, we'll just read the first four verses. Psalm 8, 1 through 4, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth! You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, at the work of, of your fingers, fingers, the heavens, this giant, vast thing. We're, we're obsessed right now with discovering exoplanets, you know, light years away. God, those heavens are the work of God's fingertips. <laughs> it takes us how much strength and energy to, just to look there. And God stretches this out with his fingertips. Anyway, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? The psalmist is amazed that God would consider us at all. Why? And with what we see in Zechariah and in Elizabeth and Mary, why would God even consider us? I got an experiment. This is a little AP, audience participation. So here's a ex- little experiment for you. In a few seconds, I'm going to count one, two, three, and you decide right now, some of you are going to raise, uh, raise your hand, and some of you are going to keep them in your lap, okay? So you decide right now, I don't care, it doesn't matter how many, but just, and if this makes you nervous, just keep your hands down. Not a big deal, It's <laughs> just raising your hand. It's okay, I'm not, you're not going to have to come up, it's none of that, I'm not, it's not volunteers, Just simply, on the count of three, if you want to, raise some of you, raise your hand. If some of you don't, keep them down, okay? Just a little experiment. On the count of three, we'll raise our hands. One, two, three. Okay, put them down. All right. Now, does anyone want to come up and point out to me everyone that raised their hand and then everyone who kept their hand in their lap? I mean, we don't have the time for it anyway. You couldn't. I I wouldn't be able to. wouldn't let you. It would take too long. No one would want to come up here and be able to predict who raised the hand, who raised two hands, who, raised, who kept them in their lap. Who, we don't, no one wants to do that. No one wants to, to guess on that right now, right? Right now, God is holding the entire universe in his hands. Right now, he's watching some supernova thousands of light years away. We haven't seen yet and won't see for years. He's watching it explode and governing all of that. And he's tending to the knees of someone in the middle of the night on the other side of our globe. And he knows exactly who raised their hands and who didn't. And he knows how many hairs your head were displaced on your head whenever you raised your hand and put it down. He's, he knows the num- very number. Every hair on our head is numbered, Matthew 10 tells us. God is mindful of his people. God knows and God sees. He's mindful of you. And we should marvel that God who has so much in our comprehension, we couldn't name who's lifted their hands and who hasn't. God is running all of it as the sovereign God of the universe and is not stressed out. Like if we, if we could get God up here, he would be like, oh, I don't know, I hope I get, the, I'm gonna, he's not going to guess. He knows, he knows. God knows. God is mindful of the mega and the micro. He's of the macro and the micro. God observes it all. God cares for you. And it should marvel. It should cause us to marvel. Who are we that God should visit us? Who are we that God should care for us in sending His Son our Lord, to come and rescue us. We are nothing. Our uh, our call to worship this morning, we we are the grass that tramples away, the wind blows over the dirt, and you don't even know it was ever there. That's us. Yet, God is mindful of us. Christianity is always couched in this humility. Who am I that God would visit us? And we need that humility. We go on in uh, the Magnificat, which is just, I, I keep saying that. I'm not trying to be fancy. I, I guess I am trying to be fancy. You probably could call me on it. <laughs> Angie would call me on it. Uh, it's the first word in Latin, from the Latin Vulgate, this is the first word of the song. There's five songs in connection to the, the birth of Christ. The first one we see here is the one from Elizabeth. The second one is the Magnificat. It's uh, the Latin first word. I won't say the whole phrase in Latin, though I did work on memorizing it. I won't say the whole phrase. But that's just the first word of her song. And she sings, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. So the first thing I wanted to stress was just the humility that comes couched in, in, in the Christian faith that God would visit us and rescue us. The second, quickly, is this realization. Mary. There's a parallelism going on here. And Hebrew poetry is a lot of this parallelism, that uh, the first two things line up, the second things line up. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. You see how they kind of parallel, they kind of line up. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Don't make the mistake then of, of saying, which some people do, oh, so the soul is one thing and the spirit is something else. That's not what Mary's doing there. She's just using two different words to describe her inner being. Her soul and her spirit. Her soul, We don't want to say, oh, so our soul is what magnifies God and our spirit is what rejoices in God. No, 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 no. That's not what Mary's saying. She's, she's using a parallel. Soul and spirit are what's inside of her. And as those two things are the same, her soul and spirit, the other parallel is magnify and rejoice. Magnify and rejoice. Magnifying and glorifying God go hand in hand with rejoicing in God. Do you want to know how to glorify God? You you should not want to know. 1 Corinthians 10.31, it's on the front of our board under Soli Deo Gloria, says that whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. Everything. Do it all to the glory of God. Well, gosh, that's kind of a high state. How do we do it all, everything to the glory of God? Well, Mary's singing here, my soul magnifies, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit Rejoices in God, my Savior. The way you glorify God is by enjoying God above everything else this life has to offer. Enjoying God and enjoying who He is for you in Christ above all other things. Glorifying Him by rejoicing in Him and enjoying Him and all He is for you above all else. This is what Mary does. Her soul magnifies God by her spirit rejoicing in God, her Savior. We need to be challenged the way that we glorify God. When I preached the sermon, How to Die to the Glory of God, I was talking about that reality. The way that you glorify God is by enjoying Him more than anything else in this world. He alone is worth it. He alone is worthy of our praise. He We'll get into what he gives us here. But God, the way we glorify him is by enjoying him more than anything else. Lastly, because I wish we could, exe- I, and I'm going, we're not going to be able to actually exegete the song, which is unfortunate, but read this. This song parallels 1 Samuel chapter 2, the song of Hannah, and many other psalms. But just general, because we've got to move. Mary sings. Mary sings a song. Mary rejoices in what God has done for her. And I, if that doesn't make your head tilt, I want to point out a few things to you. Mary sings a song. What is God really doing to Mary's temporal life? She's betrothed to a local carpenter. She's probably looking forward to her nice, quiet life in Nazareth, raising kids, having a happy family, you know, just kind of going through life. And what does God do? Let's be honest. God blows up all of her uh, American wonderful expectations. <laughs> she doesn't have American expectations, but you know what I'm saying. God blows up this idea of to uh, take her, her life is not at all going to be what she thought it was going to be. God blows it up. For the rest of her life, people are going to question who Jesus' father even is. In this culture at this time, it, it isn't like today where, where children you know, children are not born out of marriage alone and, and it's seen and celebrated and is okay in our culture today. Not for, you know, the Scripture has a clear guidelines about these things. But back then, they were in a Jewish community that really was, you were really looked down upon, ostracized for this having a child outside of the bounds of marriage. And she was not married yet. She's going to be, we learn from, uh Matthew's account, Joseph contemplates divorcing her quietly, because she's with child. And not only that, all these things located with their revolving around the birth, her son is going to grow up, and what are they going to do to their son? They're going to reject him. They're going to watch him be crucified. She's going to watch him be crucified. This is no one's American dream for their life. This is no one, boy, I just want to have, uh, uh, boy, if I I come to God and I'm faithful and I believe him, everything's just going to go so well. (laughs) No. In the middle of that, Mary sings a song of praise to her God. How is Mary able to do that? How is Mary able to, in the midst of her world going like this, sing a song of praise to God? You only sing a song of praise to God when life is turned upside down, when you realize the size of the blessing that God has for you in Christ. And when we see clearly what she does in the coming of her Messiah, the coming of her Lord, is such a huge blessing, such a huge reality, that no matter how upside down her life is turned, she can sing, My soul magnifies God. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. And I want you, I want us all, I want my wife, I want to be able to sing this song that in the midst of life getting turned upside down and it doesn't go. Does anyone, did anyone write out their plan at seventh grade and living it out perfectly? I mean, Good luck to you, and I'm I'm, I'm happy for you, but that's not the way it generally goes. Life gets thrown upside down. And I want us to be a people that are able to sing when life goes upside down, because He who is mighty has done great things for us. What has He done? He has sent His Son. He has sent His Son. God in the flesh has been born. He has lived the righteous life. We all should have lived and didn't. He died the death that we all deserve on the cross, bearing the wrath of God, bearing the punishment for our sin. He resurrects from the dead so that through repentance and faith and His work, we can be forgiven of sin. We can be justified in God's sight. We can be reconciled back to our Creator. We can be blessed, adopted as His very own children we are guaranteed, sealed with the Holy Spirit, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. May look like all kinds of crazy here in the middle, but what he begins, he will finish for his own glory and for the ultimate good of his people. And so Mary sings. Can you sing? Can you sing this morning? And if you can't, and I, I mean, I'm not saying, boy, you know, I'm not trying to guilt you. You better be singing. It's t- I'm not saying it isn't tough to sing. But if you can't, if you struggle, here's what we got to do. Look at what has been done for us in Christ. If you want to sing, and I want you to sing, look at the work of Christ. He who is mighty has done great things for us through the birth of Life, death, and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. When Mary sings, he who is mighty has done great things for us. Holy is his name. We can sing them too. And I want you to be able to sing them. I want you to be able to sing. He who is mighty has done great things when life goes upside down. So we pray, God, give us eyes to see all that Christ is for us. So that when life goes topsy-turvy, we can sing. Let's pray. Father, I I pray that whatever was said this morning that is encouraging, honoring to your name would just drive into our hearts. God, I want to sing. I want to see the goodness of your Son. I want to see your goodness. I want to see what what a marvel it is that my Lord would consider me, would consider us, would, come, would condescend by coming to this earth, living and dying for my rescue, so that when life does go upside down, we can sing, He who is mighty has done great things for me. Give us eyes to see, God, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.